Have you wondered about living elsewhere in your retirement? Well, we have almost daily. No, it's not a simple decision, especially when two people are involved. Hi, this is Gil and Jean of Retire There, a podcast about retirement destinations. We live in Brooklyn, New York, having grown up and worked in this area of the country. We're hoping to relocate when we're both retired. For us, it's the weather, the chaos, the noise, and the yearning to be near nature and not within three feet of human beings. <laughs> That's right. In February 2020, we embarked on our journey to find that special place. We spent a week in Winter Park, Florida, which is beautiful, but something said it wasn't for us. As we were planning for the next trip, the pandemic arrived. Jean then gave birth. I gave birth? To this podcast. With so many baby boomers retiring, many must be relocating. Why not connect with and learn from them? Here's a little background about us. I'm Asian, born in Brazil, and grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn. I'm an engineer turned attorney turned podcaster. I recently retired from a university career practicing higher education law. I love the academic environment, but it was time to do something else. I no longer have to set an alarm, drive in BQE traffic, or work with people who don't always share the same principles. Oh, did I just say that? <laughs> you bet I did. I traded all that in to binge crime dramas into the wee hours just a little bit to develop the podcast, to volunteer, practice metal smithing, tackle our possessions. No regrets so far, Jane. I'm not Asian. And as Gil mentioned, I'm not retired. I'm just plain tired. Born and raised in Long Island, New York, a place I always wanted to leave. I'm a law librarian working in a court who loves his job, but we're retired by the time we select our ideal location. We will be speaking to folks from across the street to across the globe who have moved to the dream venues and more. So please stay tuned. And remember, if you know anyone who has moved anywhere for retirement, let us know. Thank you. Hello. Today we chat with Jerry Almond and her husband, Michael Hamlin, who retired to two distinctly different sites, first on an RV traveling around the U.S. and Canada, and then to the quintessential college town of Eugene, Oregon. Yeah, you had me at college town. According to Webster's New Collegiate Dictionary, a recreational vehicle, RV, is a vehicle designed for recreational use as in camping, especially a motorhome. All motorhomes are RVs, but not all RVs are motorhome. A motorhome is defined as an automotive vehicle built on a truck or bus chassis and equipped as a self-contained traveling home. Hey Gil, some of these RVs are really luxurious and could have more conveniences than we have in our Brooklyn home. The price of new RVs can range anywhere from just under $10,000 for some pop-up campers to well over half a million dollars for luxury motorhomes. Okay, we're not buying one. I just want to let you know that. <laughs> You're the one who talks about it. I don't, I don't uh, want to I know, I know. You haven't, you've never been camping. Because we're not going to put everything into a storage <laughs> unit, and we're not going to be able to fit what we need. Okay, let's talk about Eugene, Oregon. The city of Eugene, Oregon, with a population of 175,000, is located at the southern end of the Willamette Valley, about 110 miles south of Portland and 50 miles east of the Pacific coast. Eugene, arguably the best college town in America, is known for its natural environment, recreation opportunities, including bicycling, running, jogging, rafting, and kayaking, and its focus on the art, along with a history of civil unrest, protests, and green activism. The city's motto is, a great city for the arts and outdoors, with nicknames including 
the Emerald City, Track Town, USA, and the running capital of the world. Nike was born in Eugene, originally known as Blue Ribbon Sports. Nike was founded by University of Oregon track athlete Phil Knight and his coach, Bill Bowerman, in 1964. The company first operated in Eugene as a distributor for Japanese shoemaker Anasuka Tiger, making most sales at track meets out of Knight's car. Wow, interesting. Of course, Nike is now headquartered in Beaverton, Oregon. Before we tell you about our guests, I would like to talk about the elephant in the room, Gil. Eugene seems to be made for me. After all, my real name is Eugene. Yes, Not a coincidence. <laughs> if we moved to Eugene, I would actually call myself Eugene. Uh, okay. After all these years being together, I can't see going back to calling you that. Well, I'd be in Eugene, though. All right, fine. <laughs> it's the running capital of the world, and I've run 16 marathons. It's a college town in the Pacific Northwest. I've always dreamed of living in both. So Jerry and Michael, not to put any pressure on you guys whatsoever, but you better make Eugene look fantastic because I need you to convince Gil that we should move there. Got it? <laughs> Got it. And we can do that for you. Okay. And you know what we just learned? What's that? If you moved here right now, yeah. immediately, and you survived through the whole winter, you would never leave. So once you've made it through a whole winter in Eugene, you won't go anywhere else, is so I'm told. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Now about our guests. Jerry was born and raised in the Deep South. She spent 40 years serving families and children as a social worker and never tired of having a front row seat on the human condition. Retiring in 2010, Jerry's world changed dramatically in 2015 when her younger husband, Michael, retired and wanted to buy an RV. The angst of leaving 200 plus orchids and a manicured suburban yard in Tampa, Florida for long road trips led to Jerry's first book, The Reluctant RV Wife. Oh my God, that is such a great title. A great that, title. that speaks to me. Released in 2019. A second book soon followed, Home is Where the RV Is, and that was in 2020. Jerry grew to love minimalism and nomadism. In early 2020, she and her husband left Tampa, and six weeks later, the pandemic erupted. During that first year of full-time RVing, Jerry wrote her third book, Running from COVID in Our RV Cocoon, released April 2021. Michael Hamlin was born and raised in Connecticut. He began his medical career working on an ambulance and became infused with the excitement about critical care medicine. He became a respiratory therapist and worked his way up to manager of a 30-bed critical care unit at a regional hospital in Maine. Well, both of you such good people. After a couple of decades, he found his way into medical sales, focusing on specialty care respiratory products in critical care, emergency room, and anesthesiology departments. During his 45-year career, Michael traveled extensively. It should not have surprised his homebody wife when he retired in 2015 and realized how accustomed he was to being on the road. He finished his goal of visiting every major league baseball park in the U.S. in 2017 wow. and established a new goal to spend at least one night in every state in the country in an RV. Hmm. See, I think that helps the marriage when the husband is on the road a lot. Okay. <laughs> Between 2015 and 2020, the couple drove over 50,000 miles as they traveled to 49 of the 50 states and five Canadian provinces in their 26-foot Class C motorhome. 
exhilarated by the freedom that minimalism offered, they sold their Tampa, Florida home in 2020 and became full-time nomads. For several reasons, two years later, Jerry and Michael realized they needed a home base. The economy, climate change, COVID, the increasing number of RVers and resulting difficulty getting reservations, mid-70 changes, increasing health concerns, and a growing sense of social isolation. Hi, Jerry and Michael. Welcome to the pod. Please tell us how Michael persuaded you to live in an RV. He twisted my arm figuratively pretty hard. (laughs) I got talked into this thinking, sure, you know, we lived in North Florida, we lived in Tampa, Florida, and sure, we could take some short trips up to the Blue Ridge Mountains. I love the Appalachians. You know, we could hike along the Appalachian Trail. You know, it might be fun to have that RV to take several two-week trips every year. We started off this RV journey with me really not knowing what I was getting into. In the beginning, it felt like this wonderful, wonderful adventure. And uh, it was like starting over a new kind of life, a new way of being. It was fun. It was really fun until I would come home from a three-month road trip and find another 10 dead orchids or another pot of succulents in the yard that had died in my absence. So, but gradually the freedom that came from being out on the open road, that just absolute exhilaration of being out there untethered in beautiful nature. My goodness, the the natural things we've seen from mountains to forests to waterfalls to black skies with uh, a million stars up there that we've never been able to see. So let me ask you, you guys were in Florida for a while, yes? Yes, many years, decades. Okay. And, 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 actually. Wow. All right. Wow. So you decided to get into this RV and I'm also a plant person and I feel like they're my babies at times. So I totally get what you're saying with each orchid dying. There must have been like a slow death with each one. <laughs> so you put all your belongings that couldn't fit in the RV into. We got to get the chronology straight here. First thing is about the reluctant RV wife is I had to sneak up on her with this idea. So we weren't talking about going full-time RV seven years ago, not even a thought. I convinced her that we could go to a NASCAR rally in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we went with a group up there. And then we came back home. And, and then do, we, I, do I look like someone who would enjoy watching loud, noisy cars running around? <laughs> you know, once I got over that, there was nothing going to stop me. I mean, I was just unbridled at that point. So a couple things you hit on. One, uh, the motorhome versus what a lot of people do is drag these trailers around behind their trucks. We could talk about that all day long, but we have become advocates of the motorhome because we have one. People who become advocates of trailers are that way because they have one. You adapt to whatever you get. Oh, so that's okay. the motorhome. That's my point of view on the motorhome trailer controversy. Okay. There's a couple other things. One's got more interior than the other one. But the other thing I want to talk about was going full-time in an RV because that was never a thought. For huh. years, that was never a thought. So we just started going on little trips. We wanted to go see White Sands. We wanted to go see, you know, Malibu. We wanted to do Route 66 was one of our missions. So we did this and we were away for months at a time, you know, three months, four months. Then it got to be on the fourth and fifth year, it was like 50-50, six months at home, six months on the road. Now we have a problem because our real estate friend, Steve, is telling us that our house is no longer an asset. It's becoming a liability. 
liability because we are no longer there to take care of it the way it should uh, be taken care of. Well, that was, that was okay. We were right along with all that. And then COVID happened. You know, we got as far as Texas and we couldn't find our way back to Florida. They're all quarantines and uh, restrictions on travel right when it first started. So that's when we decided, you know, instead of being stuck in a house or an apartment, we were going to be stuck in an RV, which means that we could change the wallpaper on our windows every 30 days. So we went from Durango to Taos to Cripple Creek to Leadville to Flagstaff, Arizona, 30 days at each stop. And the population kept going down and the altitude kept going higher. And we were in RV heaven. But that's how we wound up selling the house over the telephone because we had a good realtor friend. Oh, I didn't tell you. Oh, yeah. We sold over the telephone from Taos, New Mexico. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You sold it over the phone and you didn't even go back to move things out? I have to know about this. We haven't been back there in uh, three years. Wait, wait, so everything your home, who got rid of it? That's an interesting story. We had a great next door neighbor who had just retired from the post office. And you talk about someone who was an OCD, organized, meticulous. Lucky. Kind of person. We contracted with her. We spent hours on FaceTime and on the phone as she went through every single item in our house. We made a tremendous number of donations. All I had a, a room filled with books, donations to the public library, donations to Goodwill and Salvation Army. We uh, gave, my friends were in heaven. I was such a gardener. And so I kind of opened up the gardening shed to all my gardening friends and the master gardeners came and took orchids. We have a lot of people who still probably think fondly of us in Tampa, Florida. We disposed of this stuff. We sold just very few things. Most of it we gave away, but we did save a, what, 12 by 15 storage bin of sentimental things Mm. and just a few (laughs) isolated pieces. Sentimental things that got filled with cockroaches and mold. Oh, my God. It didn't work out very well. And we ended up, when we finally bought this house last August, it cost us probably three times more to have stored that stuff and then having it shipped across the country than anything in there was ever worth. There you go. So, you know, you live and learn, but I'm happy. And our realtor told us that the problem with putting things in storage is that you put things in storage and a year later, they look like things that have been left in storage for a year. (laughs) Wait a minute. So so what about things like jewelry or anything that that doesn't turn to mold, let's say? Did you retrieve any of those things? You know what? I've never been a jewelry person. I've really never been particularly materialistic. I oh, mean, good, good. it's kind of a, you know, a functional approach. My mother was a hoarder, so that may, always made me uh, very nervous. Oh. I took much more like my dad, who was a stark utilitarian kind yeah. of. Mm-hmm. If you haven't used it in six months, out it goes. Fill your world only with things that are useful and that you need. Wow, so, what, a, what an extreme, of, what extreme opposites they were. Yeah. And so RV living from that perspective, I mean, Henry David Thoreau has always been my, I felt like he uh, could have been my, my soulmate had I lived back then with his focus on only pay attention to what's important and only surround your life with the things that are important, you know, don't yeah, be distracted by all the stuff. So that, that did not bother me. When I was 19, 
I stuck my thumb out from my parents' house and I hitchhiked to New Hampshire. And then I got a job in a little inn. And then the guy that owned the inn had a rental car company in Florida. So I drove that down to Pompano Beach, returned on his rental cars. I haven't looked back. I never spent another night at my parents' house. The point wow. is that anything beyond what I could put in my backpack was generally considered as superfluous to me. Wow. Wow. But oh, this is fascinating. Yeah. Yes. The, the things that were important, you know, getting the photograph albums of yeah. my children's baby pictures and things like that. Sure. And a few pictures that have been on the wall, wall hangings, special things like that. What did your kids think of you living in an RV all the time? They were so excited. They were excited oh, good. for us, happy for us, you know, and I just wish we could have brought them along with us. But <laughs> RV is too tiny. Yeah. <laughs> Where, where are they, by the way? Uh, still in Florida. Okay. 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 That, that was fascinating, by the way, and I and I'm glad um, got into all that. Wait, if if I could pick up on one thing sure, that yes. said in the introduction, when he was talking about what an RV is, that it stands for recreational vehicle. You know, you spend some time in an RV, and you kind of begin looking at it differently. The joke among RVers is that RV really stands for repair vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> it can also stand for ruined vacation. Oh. Because, you know, these things, I mean, you talk about, you know, a house on wheels and if you're going down the road, it's like a, an earthquake or something. Mini mm-hmm. earthquake taking place inside. The screws come loose, things <laughs> yeah. fall down, things fall off of where they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a lot of wear and tear on equipment. I'll um, bet. However, so a lot of things go wrong with RVs. You mean yeah. it wasn't an airstream? No, we didn't get an airstream. That I'm is just kidding. Standard in the <laughs> RV world, though, that airstream that is known as the top of the yeah, line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I was joking. All right. Shit ever. Yeah, we're cheap. <laughs> we, don't, we don't spend. Well, no, really. Cause, you know, you made the point in your introduction that, you know, you can go from Five 50 grand. grand to half a million. We stay in the $100,000 range. The difficulty with them is they're put together very sloppily. Oh. Uh, you know, the 10-cylinder Tritron, Ford Tritron engine is a dream to work with. Uh, uh-huh. You know, the frame is on. So our power structure is fine. But when they put together the RV, they take a stapler and they like staple out the wall coverings. <laughs> oh and, you know, we didn't have a heater for the first year of our new RV because they put too much duct coil in the bottom <laughs> and it kept crimping off and kicking off the limits, which it took us a year to figure that out. Of course, we're up in the mountains at 10,000 feet and there aren't a lot of RV mechanics growing off of trees up there. So that's oh a problem. Okay, so, the other thing about the price range of these RVs, you mentioned a half a million dollars. We were at a trade show in Tampa, which by the way, has the largest RV show in the world, although oh. Pennsylvania right. argues that they have the biggest. We're allowed to peek inside the front windshield of a motor home that retailed for $2.5 million. You get RVs with imported Italian marble. (laughs) Uh, We have friends who have an RV with a bidet and a heated toilet seat. I mean, you talk about they come with saunas and whirlpools, and there's hardly a limit to how classy and luxurious you can make an RV. Let me quickly add that... (laughs) That resort million dollar motorhome lifestyle is something we are nowhere near to. I mean, that, that's about as close to us as the moon is you know, in terms of a lifestyle. So, but 
Joe Madden, the coach of the Tampa Rays, yeah. when we were looking for this motorhome, the salesman told us he was in just the day before and wrote a check for $2 million to buy an RV for his wife because he was moving to Chicago and she oh. needed an RV for her dog shows. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> million million I have so one more bottom line I just thought of. You know, the thing about RV travels it introduces you to all kinds of different things that you would never find out just sitting in your house. Yeah. And the well, gamut of people RVing range from the homeless who are parked, of course, we're on the West Coast where you see this so much. Yeah. You know, the hardly running dilapidated RV parked under the bridge somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So the RV world ranges from the near homeless destitute who cannot afford to live anywhere else to the truly rich and famous who can live anywhere in the world they want mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and can live in the most luxurious, comfortable, uh, decadent style. I have one word for Italian Nate Marble, and that is why. There <laughs> <laughs> is beautiful. <laughs> Here's a, a subject I've been interested in for the last couple of years is full-time RVers. Right after COVID happened, I can't believe the amount of full-time RVers I would run into. I ran into them in gas stations and truck stops all over the place. Oh, that's a beautiful RV. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm a full-timer. You full-timer? I said, <laughs> yeah. He said, I've been full-time now for three months. I was like, congratulations, <laughs> man. That's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> but right That's after so COVID, funny. everybody was cashing in their chips and hitting their road with RVs. And they were all full-timers. I mean, some of them were stupid enough to get rid of their house. We couldn't be full-timers because we came from Tampa, Florida. How can you be a full-time RVer when you own a house that's all paid for in a place that is absolutely the most beautiful place to be for 90 days in the wintertime. You know, mm-hmm. you, you get to be like yeah. September. Where do you want to go for the winter? Well, why would we go anywhere other than Tampa, Florida? Right. So that right. was our recharging station for five years. Wow. <laughs> when we first started being full time, we already had 50,000 RV miles in our rearview mirror. Wow. That's amazing. Could you tell us a little about your RV? How much space was in it? Uh, what was the bathroom like? What was the kitchen like? You know, just give us the uh, basics. Generally. Okay, the first one, the 26-foot Class C. Class C looks like a U-Haul truck, you know, with a cowl over the... Okay, when we were thinking about going full-time, we upgraded to a 33-foot Class A. Now, the 33-foot, the Class A's look like the Greyhound buses, except oh. they come with slides that come out when you stop. So we had a 33-foot. It had one and a half slides. And two air conditioners. That was the key factor for going full-time is having two air conditioners and a bedroom with a hard door that you can shut. So somebody can have their privacy back there and, you know, we can stay cool. There were like three different areas in this motorhome. The back, and and we even had a king-size bed in the bedroom. Wow, Wow, that's nice. Places to hang clothes and drawers for, you know, your socks and underwear. So it was really pretty comfortable. What's the significance of slides? It gives you a lot more space. It looks like a bus while you're driving down the road. But then when you get get parked, you push buttons and you have a whole part of the side 
come out wow. giving you another eight square feet. Wow. Okay. And that's how they could fit a king size bed in there too. Yes. Yes. But in any case, then we had a galley coming back, coming moving forward, a galley that included the bathroom, which had the shower, sink, toilet. Then there was a galley type kitchen with a stove, propane stove, cabinets overhead and underneath a sink. So all your necessities and more, sounds like. Yes, we had everything in the world we needed. All your necessities and less. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so long as you have the toilet. Valley kitchen was the worst thing for cooking. (laughs) I mean, I've I've been to a lot of cooking schools and I, you know, I I love cooking. I like consider myself a recreational chef and to have this little strip uh, linoleum or whatever the hell you call it. You got to balance all your bacon pans and everything. It's <laughs> horrible. And so what you wind up doing is half your cooking outside. We have a big, long, white fold-up table that we undo. Ah. And we got a couple of plugs. Okay. I've got a uh, one plate, what do you call electronic <laughs> convection burners. So I can take my wok and make all the smoke I want right outside the rig. Uh-huh. And then you have a toaster up, but that's the one drawback to a motorhome, going back to that controversy. You know, if you go to the one with the fifth wheels or the, you know, the trailers, oh, they have like islands in the middle of their kitchens and they have like outer space. I just drool all over. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one big drawback to motorhomes right there. Uh, okay. It's very hard to make. We, we like to cook fresh. We like food without a lot of chemicals. We try to eat as yeah. natural possible so we do a lot of cooking from start and it was very hard in that kitchen we could put on a pot of water to boil for pasta and it would take 15 minutes with the lid on the pot for that little propane uh stove to Mm -hmm. heat up that water when we got into this house with an electric stove i could not believe it i can have a big pot of water boiling in four minutes flat it was just (laughs) you know i don't have to go outside anymore i get thirty thousand steps a day just walking back and forth to the bathroom (laughs) the oven in the rv was useless as far as i'm concerned and we used it for storage we would keep dishes and pots and pans and things in the oven because Mm -hmm. every time you wanted to bake in the oven you had to get down on your hands and knees with one of these long to light the pilot light it was made so that it did not stay on for safety reasons Mm-hmm. And it just got very complicated. And yeah. we grill a lot. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> I got a Weber 1200 gas grill, which is the ideal RV gas grill. You can <laughs> bake in it. You can grill in it. It's bake got it. a lid thermometer on it. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing, versatile tool for making your protein when you're living okay. in an RV. Yeah. And where do you keep that Weber? In one of the basements. No, no. Oh, yeah, in- we have basements all along this big bus-shaped thing. Oh. They go all the way underneath the basement. I so never we knew there was a basement. Folding chairs, uh, all kinds of things under the basement. The walk through the RV, okay, you get beyond the kitchen. And then on the left, and this was a slide out, a big bench-type dining table yeah. with a big table. So we mm-hmm. could eat there. We could play board games there. We could mm-hmm. sit you know, with iPads, read books, whatever there. And you keep going. And then we had a sofa with a pull-out bed. And then we had two recliners. Wow. And recliners? Then, yeah. Then you got up to the Arm, cab. Armchair kind of things. Mm. With, with uh, legs that came up so you could prop your feet up. Then you got to the cab. And this was where I wrote my books. Mm. The passenger seat had a pull-out 
desk. There was room for my laptop and a printer. Mm-hmm. The uh, chair swiveled around. There was a table that got stored in the closet in the master bedroom with a pole. So I put the pole in. I had an oval table, maybe four by three or whatever. Nice. Perfect size for my laptop. So I could sit there with my laptop, my printer, all of my notes, whatever. And that's where I wrote in the front of the cab, looking out the uh, front windshield at the campground. The other thing that I thought was just absolutely obscene about this motorhome, this small 33 foot motorhome had four televisions. And my turn, my turn. Four televisions, and they were all crappy little Vizios. Oh, my TV So I solved that problem. I got a smart TV, put it across from those two recliner armchairs. So nice. that was pretty Fun. good. But now I got a crappy Vizio TV to the left, and I got a smart TV over there. And I figured that wouldn't do. So I conveniently tripped over a electrical cord and drove my shoulder into the Vizio TV. That got rid of that. Now I got a Roco TV over here and a smart TV over here. And I've got the cable TV out on the outside. So if I want to watch football on a Sunday afternoon. Anyway, you get to the end of the day and you can read Henry David Thoreau books and you can take, you know, minimalist lessons from the lady on TV and stuff. But here's when you really get it is when you spend a year traveling around in an RV and you realize you don't need all that crap you left yeah. in the camp. <laughs> Wow. That's right. Okay. You haven't used it. You haven't missed it. You haven't even thought about it for right. a long time. That's funny. Right. What would you say was the most difficult part about living in an RV? Getting out of it. What do you mean getting out of it? You mean like well, no longer? got a house. You live in a house and you can't go anywhere. And it's, it's getting cold and, and rainy. And I'd rather be in desert hot springs. And, you know, Eugene has all its charms in the summertime, but I'm getting kind of sick of it now. So, <laughs> yeah, it's like not having it anymore is really a problem. Okay. So you sold it. No, no. I think what Gene meant no, no, was. No, 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 no. No, we got it. <laughs> oh, you yeah, still no, have they, it. They still have it. And we got it serviced and everything. Oh, I was going to tell you about that when we were talking about the repair vehicle. So just to put some facts into the conversation, we bought this RV in January 2020, and we have put, I think we've put like 20,000 miles on it. So, you know, we're not running crazy like we were with the Class C. You know, we've been going month to month, and, you know, it kind of stayed up here and and stayed put. So anyway, 20,000 miles or so, it's cost us $15,000 in repairs for that RV over three years. What? Wow. Now, how much have you spent on your house in the last three years? We don't spend a lot on our house. No, we don't. Cause, uh... So what I'm talking about is <laughs> Most tire. people do, I know. I'm talking about tires, repairing the roof. To, oh, yeah, yeah. In the house, you're going to be doing stuff like replacing yes, yes. a hot water heater or a yes. roof. Yes, or, yes. So yeah, 15000 yeah. over three years is not a huge not bad, amount yeah. to be spent. So, you right. know, you think the pair vehicle jokes come because it always comes at an inconvenient time. But yeah. overall, I don't think it has cost me much more to maintain a motorhome than it would be to maintain a regular home over three years. Yeah. Well, what was the worst thing that you had to uh, repair? Like what? Something big. We haven't had anything. No. Big. We have not had any. Most of them have been, well, except for the furnace when we didn't have heat. So the 15000 went to what? Like little things? Uh, 
tires, oil changes. Ah, okay. We okay. had to have a protective coating put on the roof. We had some damage to, you know, like shades and blinds and. Oh, okay, uh, okay. So know, nothing, nothing critical. Broken, just maintenance things. Got it. You had to have your tanks cleaned out every year. Okay, oh, I got it. Think Fifteen thousand was a bad deal for your house for three years. No, I mean we renovated our kitchen, and that took a but lot that was more. Three years ago, though. Right yeah. to answer his question, though, yes, if, if yes. that were to happen now, we have yeah, spent, but not in the last three years. Yeah, but I have a question, Jerry. You were saying that you started writing in the RV. Yeah, so you have Wi-Fi, I assume, right? Oh yeah, we have our own hotspot. Uh, we had one through Verizon for a long time, and then we switched to Moxie through T-Mobile. Uh, most of the, well, almost all the RV parks have internet access, but it's usually just cable, and it's not private or secure. Mm-hmm. So we always used our own hotspots usually. Run into so many people are full-time RVers who work on the road, and many of them work remotely and depend upon internet certainly a lot more than we did because we just go for you know CNN news and I look up things, reference material, and you know email and I watch Netflix and Prime all night. Yeah, long. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we have yeah. seen people who have such sophisticated computer equipment; they have three or four different options in case one service is not available. Wow. They can go out. They have solar panels to provide electricity. They have huge water reserves, tanks, and they can go out and live in the desert and work remotely without just off of satellite service for months, uh, not months, well, not, weeks and weeks at the time. It's not that they can do that. They do they do that. Do that. The, right. Escapee, right. the Escapees RV Club has a subsect called the Escapers, and the Escapers <laughs> are, it's a, a segment that they're 40 to 50 year olds uh, traveling pods and they go to uh, BLM land where they can get it for free and so the, they will have like six or eight rigs and they will go out to somewhere in like uh, near Salida Colorado was a place where we were a couple of years ago and they circle the wagons and they just stay out there and they do their work and uh, stay completely off the grid because they have extensive solar panel stuff. We got to camp with them because we went to, um, they called a winter home base convergence. The escapees basically set up a, a COVID camp for our beers and we were lucky enough to get it so they went to desert hot springs and they rented out 50 spots in a uh, overflow lot for the rv park and that was ours nobody else could go in there and they only sold 25 tickets so every rv had an empty space next to it nice. and we had a little community area down in the corner near the fence and so the rules were you had to wear a mask when you're going down to the community area once you set up your chairs and of course the chairs were all six feet apart then you could take your masks off, although nice. most people didn't. Bingo games, uh, watch the movie Nomadland, watch hockey games. I mean, yeah, these, uh, so that became our social entertainment. And we were in oh, this nice. like cluster and we were very careful. So anyway, we did that for four months and nobody got sick. And wow. we got to uh, learn about the escapers. And then the other group, this is a, an escape. He's also had a group called Boomers. And Ooh. the Boomers were people that looked a lot like us. Uh-huh. In fact, they kind of looked like you a little bit. Um, anyway, <laughs> but anyway, now the boomers at different meetings were starting to have problems. They were having problems like even doing the basic things like setting up the sewer lines. They couldn't put in the water hoses without getting help and all that stuff. So uh, they had a meeting and the escapers said, you know what? We'll take those boomers. So they merged the boomers with the escapers. Oh so now God. you have these 
like uh, dinosaurs and people that can't even screw in a water hose camping out with all these 40 and 50 year olds that are installing, <laughs> you know, huge solar panels and batteries so you can go off the grid full time. It was a, quite a meeting. It oh was a great God. Winter. Oh my God. This actually sounds like, like a lot of fun. In the RV community, it is easy to find community. Okay. You know, for the most part, RVers, they respect uh, differences. They tend to, they don't talk about religion and politics and things like that. If you ever want to meet neighbors, you go out and you lift the hood on your car. And I guarantee in five minutes, you're going to have five people over there telling you, trying to help you figure out what's wrong with it. You know, it's just people helping each other. Well, they changed that to some extent. I mean, I think Garrison Keeler used to refer to RV parks as the last small town in America. Okay. Okay. <laughs> changed though with COVID and people did become, begin to hunker down. You didn't find the uh, spontaneous happy hours and potluck suppers that you did four or five years ago. People yeah. Yeah. You pull into RV park and the awnings were out, little twirly things were twirling and people were getting and showing pictures of their grandkids. I mean, it was like social hour. I mean, it's yeah. no longer like yeah. that. Yeah. You mentioned that you saw Nomadland. That was the one with Tony Collette, right? Where um, she was out there in an RV and other no, people. No, 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 not Tony Collette. No, no, no. Francis McDermott. Yes. Yeah. Francis McDermott. Yes. 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 That was very sad. I mean, well, because it, it depicted the other side of people who couldn't afford a home, right? And then they were out there and, okay, we're going off course. We're going off course. No, no, we no, are. No, no. That's, no, that's, no. that's, that's a course we're on. We know all those people and we camp with them and, and we like them, actually. And, you know, it, it, it was kind of sad, but, you know, I, I mean, it was kind of uplifting in a way when the lady with the rocks and and she liked the rocks and they're all throwing rocks into the fire. And yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot of celebration of spirit. One of the things about RVers that has really blown me away over the years is that when you make contact with somebody, like you camp with them for a while or something, like those people in Desert Hot Springs, you never lose them as friends. They're really? constantly following you on Facebook. You run into them. It's like oh, you're seeing your sister or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, you get close. so what is the cost of these RV parks? Is there a way to get this? Discounts or how does that work? You can go to the national parks and oftentimes park for free. Or the state parks are very inexpensive, but you have to be planners. A lot of people make their reservations. I think you can make them 11 months ahead of time. Uh-huh. And so they fill up very quickly. We are not planners. We are like to be spontaneous. We like the freedom of being able to go and come as we please. If we get somewhere and we like it, we want to stay another week, we can. Mm-hmm. So we don't get into these uh, parks very often. The mm-hmm. commercial RV parks, they can go anywhere from uh, $30, $35 a night up to $150 a night. However, $30 to $50 is, you know, the standard mom and pop, like, you know, you're driving along, you find a good sand park at $30 to $50 a night. That goes down somewhat. Now, what we've learned is that if you go monthly, you save a bunch of money. The RV parks love monthly rentals. Mm. You know, that's why they charge you less money because, you know, less paperwork. for Anyway, for a lot of reasons, they like monthly rentals. There's a lot of chains. What's the one? KOA. No, no, no. I'm thinking about the ones that Jack and Nadine have. You know, Thousand Trails. Thousand Trails has a network. So you you get like a Thousand Trails membership and you get a corner of the country. Like, let's say you want the Atlantic States and New England. And then you get really discounted rates on all their parks in in that part. of. I mean, there's all kinds of options out there. And there's the BLM where the escapers go. They don't charge you anything. It's free. Okay. Uh, 
If I could make a little plug here, people are really curious about RV life. The Reluctant RV Wife, the first book I wrote, kind of starts off with me knowing absolutely nothing about it. And that (laughs) goes through our first year of all the mistakes we made and learning how to manage those tanks. You know, everybody always asks about the toilet. They want to know. Well, if you want to know, if you read my book, I'm not going to talk about it here. Uh, (laughs) I wouldn't let her use that black tank first. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so the, the, the books chronicle our journey and my personal journey of not wanting anything to do with this and moving to an acceptance and embrace of it and then COVID. And I I plan to keep the series going. Good. And uh-huh. then I realized after COVID, you know, the, a lot of the joy had, had been taken away from me by the pandemic. The social isolation was beginning to get to me. We're right. both in our mid-70s and health problems popping up. And, you know, doctors don't want us to pop in once a year for a checkup. They want to see us every three or six months. So mm-hmm. it became increasingly more difficult to take care of our bodies. And we want to do this because the better care we take of them, the longer we can live. Right, and, right, right. Uh, so so that's idea- what led you guys to kind of put that on pause, right? Or to stop. Yes. And, you know, okay. we have been all over the country. We've been to 49 states and five Canadian provinces. And everywhere we've gone, I, we've kind of looked around and, and asked, is this somewhere we could see ourselves living? And we had pretty much narrowed it down. We wanted a place, I, I kind of refer to it as the Goldilocks place, not a place not too big, not too small, not too hot, not too cold. And, you know, we just fell in love with Eugene. You know, I don't want to talk, but we're kind of liberal politically. This is the this is the perfect place for us to be. Yeah. And Eugene is listed on a lot of different lists. It's one of the top 10 places in the country yes. that uh, where hippies go. We kind of look around and feel like this is where the hippies come to die. I love you seeing know. 75-year-old guys with ponytails and tie-dye oh. shirts shopping at <laughs> In their wheelchairs. Every day. You can I go mean, there right now and find them. Somebody I love came it. to us not long ago, man, if you can't make friends in Eugene, you could. There's something wrong with you. This has mm. got to be the friendliest town in America. It yeah. is so laid back. You can get anywhere in this town, about 300,000. I think you had mentioned, you must have had old data. I think it's about 300,000 now. You can get anywhere in this town you want in 15 minutes. There oh. are no traffic jams. Wow. It's just, it is a wonderful place to live. There are all kinds of, it's a live music city. More local talent if you like live music than you could ever imagine. There's a very active art community. As a writer, I've hooked up with several really excellent writing groups. I mean, there is community to be found here. We have joined a wine club. Last weekend, we went over to the coast, Lincoln City, right on the Pacific with our wine club. Had a blast. There are just things to do here that are just, I would never be doing these things in Tampa, Florida. I mean, it's just like so energizing to suddenly be starting over and making lives for ourselves. Yeah. All right. I'm sold. I'm sold. Let's go, Gil. I know. All right. I know. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. So now, you get, you know, this is, now, let me take you to the dark side of the no. <laughs> Yeah, I want, I want to hear the, the devil's and, advocate. You know, yeah. Before I go any further, it's good that I haven't sold my RV and I've got it all prepped and ready to go. Because where, where is it? In the backyard? That. No, I'll tell you about the next part is that, oh, it's no, it's in a storage place. Is that what you asked? Yeah. 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 yeah, and that, yeah a that's, a, that's another place. charge, right? <laughs> yeah. It's um, 130 a month. Wow. Oh, that's not bad. It's a, but it's not covered. We really want to find a covered place, but they come at a premium and they're aren't any available. We're on waiting lists to get covered storage because if they sit outside
outside and the weather, eventually yeah. redoing those roofs uh, every four or five years. Yeah. Uh, I assume for, for 130 that it was covered. Yeah. So I, for about 30 years, I travel and sales are selling specialty medical equipment. And so we went two years without medical care and we left Desert Hot Springs and we really had to see doctors. We both have like chronic conditions. And, yeah. you know, we were doing telemedicine with our doctors from Florida and they fired us unless we got back there. So, uh, <laughs> you know, we had to find medical. So I used my salesman skills. I said, now, if I was going to sell ventilators to a city, what would I want? And they said about 300,000 because I'd want, you know, a director of respiratory to make a decision. I don't want a big megalopolis hospital. I want a university because I want a thriving middle class, you know, and things. Yeah. I mean, it was just perfect. Like it, it was, I, I was right, E-U-G-E-N-E. So <laughs> got up here in a really nice politics, you know, from going to Crucible of Florida to <laughs> Oregon. I was going like, they had three women running for governor. Oh, wow. Really cool. oh, yeah. And they were, and they weren't attacking each other. They had like reason oh. kind of, you know, think so nice. a right winger, a left winger and big yeah. Betsy right in the middle who was like going to just screw everything up for the Democrats it turns out. So, so they have all this blue stuff going on around here, right in the middle of logging country. This is called the Hayseed State. I mean, we are right in the middle of future farmers of America land. I mean, this is like a heavy wow. redneck stream running right through. So we were at a pizza parlor yesterday. Nothing happened. Nothing bad happened because, you know, we didn't react to it. But a guy walks in, older guy, he's got a Second Amendment t-shirt with outlines of uh, like 10 different automatic weapons standing oh on it. God. And then another guy comes in with the Trinity Union. Trinity Union is a political group here in the coast of loggers. And they want to get rid of all the regulations that are, you know, trying to save our climate and just threaten the existence of loggers. They got 10 legislators to walk out of the Oregon legislature last year so they wouldn't vote on a, a thing to regulate climate change. And so now they have a new law they put into effect where they can't walk out. If you walk out, then you, your vote's not going to count. So that was something we voted uh. in. We got Second Amendment rights where illegal to have 10 cartridge magazines. <laughs> yeah, this just got approved. You have to have extensive training before you go and buy a gun for the first time. Yeah, you know, real common sense of the things everybody wants. Well, guess what? Six county sheriffs in Oregon refused to enforce that bill. Um, the legislature's arguing about the uh, state judge kicked it out. And so the whole thing is on hold right now. So, I mean, it's not all hippies and long hair around yeah, here. I mean, yeah. there's some real clashes. Actually, sometimes the great notion by Ken Kesey illustrates that hippie mm-hmm, versus mm-hmm. redneck clash. I'm, I'm well, sure I, getting far more political than you ever wanted us to be. But let me just throw in, and this is more in no. the social, not political. The state of Oregon just passed a bill stating that medical care is a right of every single individual. All right. Excellent. Their ability to pay. Excellent. This is a, well, the metropolitan areas in Oregon along the, you know, anything from Eugene, Albany, Springfield, and Portland, they embrace all the social problems. They yeah. they provide more services for the homeless. They feed the hungry. You know, it's just, it's a great, if you're a humanitarian, if you want to take care of people, I mean, this is a state that reaches out. They embrace diversity to its extent. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're and very tolerant. And if you yeah. go to the other side of the cascade, if you're on the eastern side of the cascades, you might very well be likely part of the people that want to secede from Oregon and join Idaho. 
I heard I heard about that. Oh my god, I didn't know about this. No, this place is insane. In, uh, <laughs> I love it. Well, you also have a large homeless population. Is it mostly in Portland or is it also in Eugene? I think it's all over Oregon because the communities are indeed accepting of the unhoused, which is now the politically correct way of putting it, the unhoused. Oh. And oftentimes the temporarily unhoused. You know, the climate is relatively moderate here. You don't get the freezing temps and uh, yeah, so it's, yeah. it's a hospitable climate. Mm-hmm. I think you see them more here because I think Oregon maybe spends more money on medical care and food than they do on shelters. In Florida, which depended so much on tourism, you didn't see the homeless like this because they would work very hard to keep them out of sight because they do not want tourists to see them. Ah, We also found when we were here in Eugene and Portland a couple of years ago, the homeless were far more visible than they are now. And we Mm -hmm. got to Eugene this time. We came uh, in early April of this year when we first arrived in our RV, not even thinking at that time we were going to end up buying a house. But what happened to the homeless? Well, we found out that during COVID, all of the state was much more tolerant of the camps, much more tolerant of letting people live, you know, in the public spaces, under the bridges, under the overpass, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. that they are now. They've now made much more of an effort to house, Mm -hmm. provide adequate housing for the people. Okay. All right. So speaking of housing, how did you find your specific place? And where in Eugene are you? Are you north? We're uh, maybe a quarter of a less than a quarter of a mile from the the city limits. We're inside the city limits. We are in the northeastern part of the city with a pretty upscale zip code here. So we're kind of pleased about that. We certainly, when we started thinking, we didn't want a a place as big as the one we got. We said, you know, we are old geezers. doesn't make any sense. We don't want a big house to maintain, but I wanted a yard. That's why we didn't end up in a condo or an apartment. I want to garden again. And we ended up with a bigger yard than I really wanted. Mm-hmm. It did not make sense for us. And housing is expensive these days. I mean, to have yes. replaced what we had in Florida would have cost a lot more than we wanted to invest in a house. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, we certainly didn't want to live in an RV for the rest of our lives either. We sure. ended up in a manufactured home community for the over 55. And oh, wow. Okay. All over the place out here. We are in one that's pretty pristine and uh, really upscale and has got, you know, multi-million dollar houses in the neighborhood. So we figure it's going to retain its value. We didn't pay anywhere near that for hours. We feel, this is a shocker, we feel like the youngest people in this park. And we're in our 70s. I mean, (laughs) over 55, what kind of misnomer is that? Yeah. So like what would a two-bedroom Manufactured home. Two hundred thousand. Oh, nice. Oh, that's great. That's very nice. And is there a whole community of tennis courts or anything? Uh, We got. No, we don't have a lot of that stuff. Uh, Half the people in this community don't even leave their houses. Parks that have huge no, swimming pools, <laughs> swimming pools, saunas, exercise rooms, walking trails, tennis courts, pickleball okay. courts. You know, there you, yeah. there are amenities that you okay. could find any amenity you wanted. In yeah. And, and what are the annual fees? Like uh, HOA? Yeah. Do, you, do you rent the land or do you own the land? land? With yeah. all of these, you rent the land. Okay. And how much does that cost approximately? We've seen anywhere from about $700 a month up to maybe $1,100 a month. That seems 
to be the range. Okay. 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 Monthly rental. Here's the driving force behind this decision. And it was tempered by friends of ours who have had unfortunate illnesses, you know, while, while they were living in the RV life, fortunate illness like cancer. So we're not talking about a broken leg or a pneumonia or something. You can go to the doctor and get treated. You can be in the parks that are 30 miles outside of town. You know, you can handle all that stuff. That's fine. But when you need to go to town five days a week for radiation oh. or chemo or something yeah. like that, all of a sudden, an hour drive each way to a medical center doesn't seem like a walk in a park anymore. Yeah. So that's why we uh, went for a home base that was near, we've developed a general practitioner. We got a good hospital. We got a nice medical community with Peace Health. So the idea is we can do more RV travel because now we have a home base to come back to if we get sick or something happens. It's not right. like you come down with a diagnosis and you're in Gold, California, and then you wind up having extended medical care in Fresno. It might wind up spending the rest of your damn life there. Mm-hmm. I like to say we moved into Eugene. We've got the seat backs and the tray tables and the upright lock position ready for the final descent. Oh my God. <laughs> you are so funny. All right, all right. So let me ask you, where is the nearest hospital? Less than 10 minutes away. Okay. Hospital, less than 10 minutes away. Okay. And our and general and- practitioner. Remember, everything in Eugene is 15 minutes apart from everything else. Okay. And you didn't have any difficulty identifying a primary care person? Well, when we got, we first did this a year and a half half almost two years ago because mm-hmm. we were passing through and we were going to come here and stay just long enough to get checkups, get whatever needed to be done, done. And then we were moving on, which is what we did. So it was a little hard initially, but within three weeks of, of arriving, we had been assigned through one of the largest networks, a primary care provider. And once we got in to see her, I mean, things just had gone very, very smoothly. Oh, and okay. believe it or not, she's from Eugene and she's very, very nice. So I told her I was a full-time RVer and I told her that we got fired from our doctors in Florida because you know, we didn't see them long enough. And so she said, okay, well, you know, we can work with this. Can you get by here once a year? And I said, yeah. She said, okay, once a year, you'll see us in person and then we'll do teleconference. She says, that's a deal I could live with. So the nice. deal was made. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, so, nice. so you guys continue to travel regularly or what's that like? Well, we just closed on this house August 30th, 2022. Uh. And- in August 31st. So we have, you know, we haven't been here very long. Mm-hmm. The RV is, except for getting it deep winterized, is ready to go. We're tentatively thinking around the first of the year, if all goes well, we're going to get in that RV and we're going to go down to Southern California for two or three months. Mm. And we're going to come back here in time for spring planting. Aww. I can do some vegetables and pretty flowers. Uh-huh. And uh, we'll stay here for a few months and then maybe we'll either go up to the Olympic Peninsula or maybe even Alaska for a couple of months of summer. Yeah, that's a and, thought too. Another yeah. Alaska trip. And then yeah. we'll come back here for the fall and catch up again on our dental and vision and medical, all that stuff. And then maybe next winter, if all goes well, we'll go south again. You oh. know, maybe now four months a year in the RV and eight months a year in the house. Meanwhile, we're making friends, yeah. you know, putting down roots and Michael yeah. might have trouble eventually getting me out of here. Oh, <laughs> well, what a place to be 
be stuck in, yeah. huh? What a yeah. place. So we're really not stuck at all. So here's a mind-blowing thing for you is that, you know, people look at, you see pictures on Facebook, or, you know, your friends that are different places and you go like, oh, that's so cool. So anyway, I'm, this friend of ours, Cindy, is down at her second house in uh, Las Cruces, New Mexico. And, and she gave, she posted this picture, this beautiful desert sunset. I mean, they're just unbelievable, warm desert afternoons, beautiful, you know, red yeah. and orange sun. Well, here's the difference. People look at that and they drool. I look at it and say like, well, I could be there in three days. Yeah, yeah, that is <laughs> I nice. Could that is nice. Yeah, yeah. I could just go there. I don't know if that makes it worse or better. It's right there. You can just reach out and grab it if you want it. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way of thinking about it too. You're not stuck, you know, you can always explore. I have a question again about, about your manufactured home. Since you don't own the land, you don't pay property taxes, right? We do. Oh, we, we own the home. We pay right. property taxes on the home, but not the land. Okay. So that's probably not a lot, right? Uh, the taxes on the home, I'm trying to remember, I think on our house, uh, $1,500 for the year. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Almost nothing. And are there <laughs> other fees for the community, you know, because there's central maintenance or, you know, to keep the land up? No, that, that monthly leasing to the community association pays for all the grounds care. Okay. okay. Outside, okay. To each owner is responsible for their own yard. Mm-hmm. Oh, here's one thing they don't advertise, but I love. I have my own personal gym. I've got what? a gym with two <laughs> treadmills, an electronic bicycle, dumbbells, a and stability trainer. ball, everything, you know? So I, it's two doors down, like about a hundred yard walk there. And I, I work out for an hour and, you know, you move things around, you move the ball, you move the chair. You know? I come back 24 hours later, everything's exactly the way I left it. <laughs> no. Wait a minute. Are you saying yeah, it's your own because no one else is using it? Yeah, okay. Okay. I have a gym. I can't believe it. You no are so precautions, nothing. You are too funny. Um, <laughs> All right. You're, you're near the University of Oregon. How far are you away from there? Five miles. 10 or 15 minutes down. Okay. May, may seniors take classes there? Yes. Seniors can audit classes, uh, I think, free of charge. And I haven't looked into that yet, but I have hooked up with Ollie, the Osher Lifelong yeah. Learning Institute that yep. many, many, many of the state universities all over the country offer. And that's where I found one of my writing groups. And I've done a couple of other things with the Olive group. So that that's a wonderful resource. They do anything from, you know, showing foreign films to uh, having political talks on the history of Mongolia or, you know, what, yeah. just different topics like that. Yeah, I just signed up for Painting 101 uh-huh. at a local community college. And I also uh-huh. am going to take making at another college within the university system from which uh-huh. I just retired. So, <laughs> so exciting. I, I keep thinking that I'll be sitting next to these 19 year olds and uh, I'll, I don't want to participate in the class though, because I don't want to sound like I know too much when I know nothing. All right. You were on the faculty at a, at a school? Uh, no, no, no. I was the lawyer. The lawyer. Oh, yeah. Okay. So I dealt with very different issues. Well, frankly, I've been looking into too many things and I have too many <laughs> interests. Uh, Jean will tell you I'm very big on once I get excited about something, my big thing is to purchase all of the tools necessary. So I have I have this thing where I go, oh, wait, before I start painting, I need this particular eraser. And he just rolls his eyes. All right. All right. Gene. Eugene seems to be a place where you can enjoy both wilderness and the amenities of city life. Does that seem to be the case? Does it have both wilderness and amenities? Absolutely. You know, we are like 10 minutes from the Arboretum. We go down there. We take hikes along the Willamette River, up Mount Pisgah, back down again. We are about an hour and 15 minutes from the Oregon coast, which are has the most beautiful beaches, I think, in the entire world. 
And if you go east, you're an hour and a half to ski country. This state has more hiking trails than we have ever seen. My I'm telling you the story about the WPA and how they got built. Yeah, well, One me... thing about the Oregon natural areas, it is not commercialized. You can go to an Oregon, the coast, and you do not find the condominiums and the high rises and, and the private land like you would find on the peninsula of No Florida. billboards. No billboards in the state. The public, the beauty, the, the areas are open to the public. Nobody owns the beach. So the I... whole 360 miles of Oregon coast, you walk right down that whole beach, nobody Owns it. Wow. It's public land, it's state parks. Yeah. In 1939, the governor of Oregon was given all this WPA money, like governors were given it then. And most of them built like highways and bridges and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. But the governor of Oregon thought the best thing he could do for his constituents was to spend that money on hiking trails. And wow. he just, the governor that yeah. followed him was so impressed with how popular that was that he continued. So that's wow. why you can't walk 100 yards off a road in Oregon without winding up on a hiking trail. That's so nice. That's wow. so oh, nice. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. And they're, they're maintained and beautiful scenery. The other thing growing up in New England that I really love about Oregon is, uh, you know, we came up here in April. It's been 40 years since I had watched spring unfold, you mm, know, wow. into the uh, into the summer. And we got that in the Pacific Northwest. It's just abundant. Oh, my you know, God. Vegetable. What a difference from Florida, right? Yeah, so your yeah. kids are in Florida. Florida. You feel far from them or, or do they come out often? We've seen them. Okay. It, okay. okay. Uh, you know, technology allows for almost daily contact if that's mm-hmm. what feels right at the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's okay. My daughter is very, very busy and I'm sure she's getting pretty close to retiring herself. In any case, uh, she may even be coming out here when she retires. So, but okay. you know what I want to just say before we run out of time here, yeah, yeah. we need to stay in touch after the podcast when you decide you're ready to move out to Oregon, get in touch with us and we'll help you find a, a place. <laughs> oh, you know what's the cool thing about Oregon music? Now, I, I know they have like clubs where kids go out late at night and stuff, yeah. but most of the music scene goes from six in the afternoon to 10 at night. Um, wow. A lot of the live music here is in vineyards. Vineyards have like these uh, wine clubs that crop up around the vineyards. And so they start to have like entertainment three or four nights a week. Go guitar players and there's some really fun Fine, fine local musicians around right. here. If you like happy hour entertainment and you don't like to drive around at two o'clock in the morning, this is a wonderful place. Yeah. So, yeah, which brings me to ask you, do you have a car and do you need one? Well, you know, there's public transportation. There's just the bus system here. You know, you go to Portland, you've got the train, you got the trolley, you got the buses mm-hmm. here. Here, there's just the bus service. We've never taken the bus. You know, we towed a car behind our RV ah. on the road all of that time. We wow. Were Really? So we always, you know, you, you go, you set up the RV, you unhook the car, and then you zip around in your car. Of course, they in Florida had two cars, and we've talked about that and decided we can function just fine with one car. And uh, so far, there's been no problem at all. No, we uh, didn't figure that. We figured that we have one car, and I'd be able to go anywhere I want in an Uber. And I haven't taken one Uber ride yet because I live with the biggest skin flint in the world who won't let me call that number. <laughs> 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 I could 
be Ubering all <laughs> over Eugene for a fraction of what it would cost to buy a car, but I'm not oh. allowed to do it. Oh my God, you guys are the best. You're the best. And even if we don't move to Oregon, because <laughs> I've got family on the East Coast and that's kind of looking where our home base is going to be. But we not, haven't not, decided that we yet. We haven't decided, Gene. You keep saying that to yourself. Before Gene met me, he thought that he would go and live out in the Pacific Northwest. PNW. And then we met and I kind of explained to him what my ties were to the East Coast. Well, at the time, my parents were, they, we had to stay here and we chose that. We took uh, care of them. But by the by the way, nothing pressures me, okay? Gene said that if he hadn't met me, he'd be at PNW right now. And I feel very bad that I didn't free him to do that. But on the other hand, he said, he said, since we met, he wouldn't leave me. And so if it meant to give up everything, then he would stay. And I love him to death for having done that. But, so but even though I'm only in my 70s and I'm surrounded by people in their 90s, I have acquired this much maturity to understand that you cannot bemoan the choices you made 20 years ago. You made the choices you made and you're here today because of those choices. And yeah. it looks like you did all right with your choices. So you can't lament you. things that didn't Thank happen. You. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much, Michael, for releasing me from that. If you decide to go RVing, you could spend your summers in the Pacific Northwest. Yes, yes, yes. It's a beautiful drive across the northern perimeter. Yeah. If you, out, if you came out here, I would commit myself to the mission to make sure that you never leave. I take you out to McKenzie <laughs> Falls. I take you out to the Hayworth Wine Club. Give you a complimentary membership to it. You can have <laughs> Pinot Grigio to die for anytime you want. <laughs> all right, Michael. Michael Hamlin. I am holding you to that. All right, I'm holding. All right, you. Yeah. <laughs> wine Club, but are are there also breweries? Are there breweries there? Of too? course there are. Yeah, of course there oh, are. Yeah. Yes. As yeah. a matter of fact, um, uh, our favorite one, like three miles away from here is called Hop Valley because the Willamette Valley was big on growing hops at one time. Oh, you know, this, wow. a, this little oh. Cobra place. So yes, the Hayworth Wine Club that we joined, the uh, owner, you know, it's funny, we went to a weekend thing and, and they talked more about football and music uh, than they talked about wine. And one little wine tasting thing. So I asked him how he got interested in wine. He said, I'm not interested in wine at all. He <laughs> said he bought this land and he started planting some grapes and he just loved growing grapes. And he started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then he started doing terraces. And he said, he said, I'm just in love with the vineyards and growing grapes. He says, I don't care about the wine thing. That's so funny. If you've enjoyed this great couple who are very entertaining, by the way, and I certainly have, Michael and Jerry, you really should check out Jerry's book. First of all, her full name is Jerry Almond, A-L-M-A-N-D. Her books are The Reluctant RV Wife, which is an incredible title. The second was Home is Where the RV Is. And the third one, the most recent one, is running from COVID in our RV cocoon. Yes, guys, just know that. And it's going to li be listed in our show notes. So I want to ask one final question because I can see us talking here way beyond the Zoom a lot of time. <laughs> but uh, I, I do have one question. And that is, what would be your words of wisdom for our audience members who have an inkling for the RV life? My advice would be don't wait too late. We waited too long. Yes. I, if I had it to go over with again, the day he retired, I would probably have gone full time. But I didn't know that then. But by the time we went full time, we were both already in our 70s and it, we were a little too old to start. Mm. So we didn't we got I feel like we got a little jip through our own poor planning mm. for the 
full RV experience, I would have liked for us to have been out there at least five years and we made it a little over two and a half. So there you go. So don't wait too long. That that be as good a philosophy as any. You know, and, and you start earlier, you're going to get more out of it. I feel kind of gypped that we moved into this manufactured home when I feel like I got a lot more miles I could put on that RV. But on the <laughs> other hand, I'm right where I want to be for the inevitable things that are going to happen to us as humans in the next 10 years. So, so you know, the, you know, the, there's that. So you, you don't leave to it. But the thing about, I wouldn't have gone full-time right away. We wouldn't have enjoyed it as much because by the time we went full-time, we were seasoned RVers and yeah. we knew how everything worked and we knew how to get around and we weren't challenged like you see those newbie full-timers being, they're just overwhelmed with everything. We oh. never overwhelmed. I think at a certain point in your life, you just feel that you know what you can do and you know what you can't do. I mean, that's just something you learn from, from life and growing. But I want to touch upon something that you just said, Michael, and that is this stage of life, like you said, the inevitable I have to say, both of you, to me, you're like in your 30s, your behavior, your speech. <laughs> or, yeah, I mean, the, the way I mean, the, our audience doesn't see this, but both of you are like you look you look like you're dancing right now because you're so full of this. And I and I know it sounds cliche that you're full of energy. You guys are all there and you are making the most of everything. It, it's just the second half of it's life. It's great to see. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't have to be. Is it the first half? of the, I'm, I'm sick of reading these things about, oh, this is going to be my forever home and this is going to be my forever whatever i mean you don't got you guys don't have that your rv is ready and primed to go and like you, you said it's gonna happen. and you never know we've been reading lately it's so sad and i try not to read the news for this reason every day someone unexpectedly goes and some of them are yeah some of them are healthy you would never have expected it someone just wakes up in the middle of the night and sees their spouse like just not breathing and and so you know our rv travel has been tempered by experiences that very close friends of ours have had. You know, I mean, without getting specific, you know, we have friends in our age category and we've watched some real big health problems hit them and turn into tragedies. And we we wanted to be prepared so if that happened, we wouldn't complicate it by being standing out on the end of a limb somewhere. Yeah, no, I yeah. get that. I just want to ask as, as a final thought, Michael, earlier when you spoke to you before we were broadcasting, the, the books are really yours, that Jerry's books about RVing are really yours. What do you mean by that? <laughs> she, she didn't have anything to write about until I bought an RV. <laughs> well, no, no. She no, she was writing all the time. She she was like a real big writer. Uh, she couldn't get anything published until she started too. writing about no, me. I did not write books. <laughs> I had a number of literary, a, a number of short stories and essays published in literary journals. Right, but uh, I made yes, her into the stunning best-selling author that she is today. All right, all right. And by the way, if I can just put this plug in for myself, you know, as, yeah. as a writer, and my books are like on every, you know, every major distributor in town. Yeah. But on Amazon this morning, my books, Reluctant RV Wife, Home is Where the RV Is, and Running from COVID were number one, number two, and number three in their category of senior travel. So, you know, a lot of people are connecting. The books were kind of like my adult temper tantrum. Yeah. When I started writing, because I did not want 
to do that. I had a rich and full life. I was in Toastmasters. I was a master gardener. <laughs> I grew my orchids. I had my writing critique groups. I did not. What you did to her, Michael? To, to go off in that stupid RV. I mean, right. it's just right. not Okay, so, so I, you know, I wrote <laughs> out my angst. And so the, the trilogy chronicles my journey from starting off with reluctance to a full-time embrace to kind of ending up with an unknown future, which is where the third book ended up. So I'll give you the, the real final word on this. You had these friends, Rick and Donna, and Rick was a Presbyterian minister. They've been together for 60 years. They met in church group at high school. You know, I mean, they're really uh-huh. a, a great couple. So they wrote a Christmas sled. They just bought a manufactured home. We met them in an RV park a year and a half ago. Anyway, they just wrote a Christmas letter to their friends, and he read the last paragraph to us, and he said, many of you have been asking us what it is like to live in an RV. How do you solve these problems? What do you do? I want to give you a resource to a book called The Reluctant RV Wife by Jerry Allman. That book completely explains everything about what it's like to live in an RV and you need to get a copy of it right away. That was his Christmas letter to his relatives. Oh my God, that wow. is so nice. Well, I believe, and this is the final word, that so long <laughs> so long as your minds are growing, I mean, that is really the key. Your mind has to keep growing. Every day is a little something else that you learn. You got to get out of bed, which I'm having trouble doing these days, but you know, a little therapy and, and some drugs will get you there. But I think at the end of the day, my mind lately has been just flourishing because I found something very interesting and I can't wait to start some of these classes. And I think that's the key. That's the key to life. You know, you doing something you like and being around people that you enjoy. Like you guys. Oh, my God. I could hang out with you guys for days. Yeah, you know, I was saying, what's all this final word to shut the damn camera off? We'll keep going. Okay. <laughs> all right, then. I know you're not playing. Come out here and visit us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You didn't mention be kind. Oh, yes. Important. Be kind. Of course. Well, they're kind. <laughs> I don't want to say what's known. All right, folks. So we got a slot for you at the Hayworth Wine Bar. At All right. <laughs> All right. And Michael, just so you know, I don't drink, but I'll drink for you, and I baby. Drink, I drink mostly beer. So. Okay. I have right. beers a day. And I can tell you there's all kinds of what I mean, every beer you have here, you can go 365 days, have a different beer every day. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. All right. We're hanging up. All right. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. This was so fun. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you know someone who's relocated for retirement and wishes to share their story with us, please reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Our email address is gg at retirethere.com. Our website is retirethere.com. And you may follow us on Twitter at retirethere underscore. Now, if you've liked our show, please subscribe and rate it in Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, be well. Be well.